0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. My name is Joe Thomas, alongside me is Chris Beasley, where the echoes two dedicated Everton FC correspondents. It's Tuesday afternoon, we're fresh off the train from it's, London, Euston. Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday <laughs> afternoon, cranky. yeah. Can't even get the day right, that's how mad this week is. It's Wednesday afternoon and we're fresh off the train from London, Used having' been at Craven Cottage last night. 0-0 draw, Chris We'll come on to the penalty very, very quickly. Obviously, that's the big talking point. But just as an overview... Give me your thought on last night.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're obviously not not quite <laughs> so fresh. But, uh, yeah, um, as you say, just off, the, just off the train. Yeah, in isolation, of course, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good point away from home against a team um, who've had the Indian side or whatever. No, certainly Sean Dyche's Everton over the last 12 months in uh, three very different ways. They achieved a hat-trick of victories at, at, um, at Goodison Park. Which for a long time was like the biggest home banker in the Premier League. Um, believe it or not, well, I'm sure Evertonians need no no reminder of that. Fuller went years and years without um, getting a league win at Goodison. They won in lockdown, very different circumstances there, without fans, and obviously three times last year. So, bit of a bogey team for Sean Dyche. We went there, got a decent result. I mean, I'd have see the big the bigger picture is. They moved uh, back into the relegation zone last night because of Luton's emphatic victory over Brighton, and of Albion. But I think if you look at the game, look at the performance times when they were under the cosh a bit second half but they still could have won it themselves so it could have gone either way and I think it's going to be a, a decent point and a welcome point in, in tough circumstances because remember you know, they're down to the bare bones which just one recognised central midfielder in the side.
0: Well I'd say I think context is important and I think we're going to use the word context a lot because it can apply in so many different ways to the Evans situation at the moment. And I think, in the, from a footballing context, and from uh, what Everton can do right now at this present moment in time, I was really pleasantly surprised by last night. Now look, this an injury crisis. The injuries Evan have bite a lot deeper because it's a Fredbear squad because of you know, the mishandling of, of of the club's transfer policy for so long. Yeah, you know, we know we know that wider context. In terms of what Sean Dyche has got to deal with, he has that group of players. And he has one fit senior central midfielder in James Garner. You know, he mentioned Amadou Inanna had a knock after the Luton game. I've got to be honest, he mentioned it in passing. The red flags didn't kind of like leap up in my mind when he said it because I think it's, it's been a strange one with Amadou Inanna. It felt like he's received treatment in most of the games over the last six weeks or so and managed to come on. And, you know, Daich was saying, in fact, it was a, you know it was some feat that he managed to actually finish the game against Luton. Um, but yeah, you know, when you look at that content and you look at the what he had to do, obviously moving, he had no choice but to go or take better when Dominic Calvert Lewin out after he you know, move away from the, those two up front after what happened at Luton. Um and I think that you know this was a makeshift side. Obviously the wide players, McNeil and Harrison, both moved infield. You've got Godfrey at right back, Dan Juma finally kind of like, you know, getting into the side in this recent run of games after missing places. And I thought, you know, We shouldn't be surprised that this Everton side has shown some resilience and been able to fashion a good result because that has been one of the dominant narratives of this Everton side under Sean Dyche. But there was a scenario looking at that team sheet and bearing in mind the opposition, and albeit in opposition Everton would be above if they had their 10 points, it's still an opposition that's caused them a lot of problems and a club that feels like it's on an upward trajectory over, over recent years. You could see a scenario where that could have turned nasty for Everton, and it didn't. And in fact, they could have won. And they rode their luck at times. Some really, really big opportunities weren't there. Jimenez fired it wide just before just before the break. Shal Paulini had a really good header from a Pereira cross. You know, you had the the magnificent Godfrey recovery tackle when William was about to tap it in. Yeah. Um, Tosin produced, I could say, from from Jordan Pickford. Moon has had the header late on, but for all those numbers there, for all those opportunities, I'm just saying there, and it was a barrage from Fulham at the end, and they ended up with 16 corners, and, and a lot of those, it felt relentless in the second half. I felt like I was live blogging the Siege of Helm's Deep for all the um, wow. Lord of the Rings aficionados <laughs> there. Hopefully there are some, and i like no. Not, not speaking uh, in, into a vacuum there, but um, for all that, Everton has some really, really good chances, isn't they, Chris?
1: Yeah. As, you, as, as we said, um, I think Beto, right at the end, was probably the pick yeah. of the whole bunch. Um, Dominic calvert lewin obviously, had the opportunity, um, the back post header, which he hit onto the, the top of the crossbar and there were a couple more opportunities. I mean, to be fair, actually, thinking back on Jan juman in, in the first half, he should have at least got that one on the target for at least test the keeper. He cut inside and his favoured right foot from the left flank. You know, it's what he's all about getting inside from that those positions, and really should have done better with that one. So yeah, there's was a Dan June one early on, and then Beto who'd come on who'd actually had the chance from from further out. He'd won the corner, hadn't he, with that 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 initial effort, and uh, yeah. The, the header at the back post. I've seen it back now and it looks a really inviting opportunity. You know, somebody who, as good as him in the air, as early dominant as he is, like Calvert-Lewin, yeah, it could, wouldn't have quite been... He was
0: clearly disappointed yeah, as well, wasn't yeah. it? Like You could see in not just his body language, but also his face and, and his dejection after the chance had gone. You know, I think I fell for him a little yeah.
1: bit. Yeah, he's, he's certainly a player who, who, who wears his heart on his sleeve and Evertonians tend to... Um, be encouraged by, by that sort of thing you know, you know he was waving his arms and encouragement I mean it's something that Armadou does as well but um, yeah he's very animated and he's he just he need, they're both of them both him and Calvert-Lewin could do with a goal particularly Calvert-Lewin given that you know the, the pedigree that he's shown in the past that, you know, just the fourth player in Everton history, he so gets 50 Premier League goals at West Ham United back in the end of October. And as it's something like 14, 15 games now, he's gone, without a goal he could do with one event um, better, although he's, I think he's got three and all comps, just one in the Premier League. So, yeah, they could both really, really do with one. Because as much as Everton have been sort of doing well in very difficult circumstances, and other than the Wolves game where the manager admitted they were really off it, they've kind of. Had that level of consistency, <laughs> it is six weeks now since that, that last Premier League win at, at Burnley, which was the culmination of that four game streak. And, and you know, that that's why, with you know, if you go that long without the win, you know, it's, it's obvious that you know, Luton will, will overtake you at some point, which which has happened now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's again, it, it's really frustrating. It highlights the importance of that points deduction, doesn't it? Because I think that if Evan have been sitting there 12 going into that game, 11 points clear of trouble. And they go and get a point in that fashion. and uh, uh, You go, yeah, good point, entertaining game. Bit disappointed, didn't come away with a win. Also rode our luck and, you know, everyone's having a happy week and looking forward to Spurs. Yeah. But again, that's that word, context. When you look at what happens elsewhere, Evan do currently have the points reduction. We'll discuss the appeal a little bit later going on. Obviously, that starts today. Um, and that's part of the problem coming away from this, isn't it? Like, it was a good point and a good performance in an adverse circumstances, But when you get out of, when the final whistle goes, you look at that table and all of a sudden you see that Luton have pulled off a 4-0 win over Brighton, which I think we're all a little bit surprised by. We know they're a good side, we know can't get complacent. We saw that they can be sides that aren't properly on it at the the weekend when they came and did that at Goodison for a second time this season. But again, it's that, you look at that and then you go, for all the positives that Everett can can take from a good result with a patched-up side at Fulham last night fourth clean sheet in five some of these things we kind of it's easy to overlook when you think of you know some of the results and other news that has been around the club during this period that is a little bit of a concern isn't it and it's just that kind of contradictory nature of being an Everton supporter at the moment isn't it you have the high of coming off that game and thinking well it's not high but you think yeah i can be positive about that yeah but then you also have the low of going well it's good but is it good enough
1: yeah yeah the comments are coming in thick, thick and fast, there Joe? So uh, um, I, I think we just, can tell that from the noise that
0: your your <laughs> laptop's made. I don't know if you want yeah. to turn the sound off, mate.
1: Yeah, right. and yeah, I, I, I was smiling there when I saw the the, the first one. It wasn't it wasn't because you were mentioning about Everton's appeal at, at, at the time, but um, yeah, let's just go through some some of these ones here. I mean, first one is a comment. It's actually it, it is responding to what you said before, Joe. Um, the Blues on You the Blues on YouTube. So is that somebody called the Blues says. He refers to um, Anfield as Mordor in reference to Joe's Lord of the Rings comment. Well, uh, <laughs> no more to say on that one. But um, well then uh, D Hagen on Facebook has said, Hello, lads. I'm confused about the handbar. I suppose well, we can come, come on to, on that, to this yeah. one. Um, if Ananas can can be a pen, why couldn't that? Well, we'll come on to that one. And then uh, Two Wheel uh, Lucas on, tu- on YouTube, he often uh, comes in Two Wheel um, with, with a comment saying... Is it possible that officials are feeling the vibes from higher up the chain and treating the Blues harshly as a result? Well, we can we can discuss that when we when we talk about the penalty as well. But um, yeah, in terms of what you were saying there, Joe, um, in regards to um, is it is it enough? I mean, we don't know, do we? Because. It, it, we, we the situation could crystallise a lot in in the coming days. As you mentioned, you reported yesterday that you know the 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 Everton appeal is is starting uh, now and uh a few days, a couple be what three days we think or something. Yeah,
0: well, we're going to be over this week. and yeah. We're not expecting a verdict till so yeah. probably mid February. I think the panel will break away yeah. and consider and then come back with with what the outcome is. And then, yeah. Move on to the second case now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, but obviously the second case is, is hugely shaped by what happens either of way with the, with the first one. So the situation will crystallise one way or the other. But yeah, it, 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 the, fear, the fear is at the moment it might get worse before it, it gets better. Given that you know the, the fixtures are, are on the, the horizon and Everton's wait to get players back again. I'm just I'm just um, heartened by like we say that they are generally keeping to a consistency level. I think it was very poor on Saturday. To be fair, I was <clears> was concerned after Saturday, not just because of the manner of Everton's FA Cup exit, but how it would mean both for Everton and Luton from a psychological point of view and showing what they could both do or couldn't do for the rest of the season. It was very disappointing, but at least last night was a return to that cer- that certain level that Everton have demonstrated for, for the larger part of the season.
0: Yeah, you make a good point, though, because you think that Luton are probably... you know, they scored two goals in the first three minutes. Probably on a high partly because of what they'd achieved at the weekend, haven't they? They built some momentum there mm. at the expense of Everton. And whilst that was in the cup, it's clearly carried a little bit of momentum and had an impact and consequence in the league, which is, yeah, why Everton are in the bottom three. One more subject just from last night's game before we go on to the, the, the penalty call. and That, that is that um, for Ben Godfrey was, yeah. was was very good, and I must admit. You know, I wrote this in the blog. I was concerned when, when we, you know, we, we had murmurings of what we thought the first 11 were going to be throughout the afternoon. When the team broke, there was an expectation that Godfrey might be right back. But I was hoping that I was looking at that scenario and think, looking at that team thinking it would make sense to me if he's part of a three-man central defence. Yes. And Ashley Young be a right wing back. I was concerned at the idea of playing him at right-back and, and the reason that, obviously, we know he's done a good job at centre-back at times and he can do a good job at left-back sending it in. But I look back to you know, last season, one of the worst performances under Deitch, I think, was the 3-1 defeat at home to Fulham. Yeah, And it was in that game that yeah, Holgate had just been sent off at Crystal Palace and the nil-nil draw that preceded that match. Ben Godfrey came in at right-back and Nathan Patterson and, and Evan had a bad game in that day and, and, and Ben Godfrey was among them and so uh, you know, my, my visions were of, of, a, of a repeat really last night and in fairness to, to Ben Godfrey, he did a really good job and I think it probably shows some professionalism from him, the motivation, determination that he must have behind the scenes to be carrying on working despite getting such little opportunity, only second star in the Premier League this season and, to be, and also his fitness to be able to come in and do that job at such short notice, so the same against Burnley back in December. You know, he's played a big role in two valuable clean sheets for Everton in adverse circumstances, and those are the type of results in the games that matter. And you know, there were some stand moments from Godfrey, the obvious one being his immense recovery challenge from Bramford, lost the ball and played into trouble, lost the ball and halfway line, and, and, you know, lo- uh, sorry, Fulham had a 2 on one And, yeah. you know, it was an open goal when the court over Reid squares it for, for William And Godfrey has come from absolutely nowhere to put that fantastic tackling, yeah. just like he did on Zeki Amduni at Burnley yeah. a couple of weeks ago and you know, it could have been curtains for Everton if they'd have gone behind there, because we know this is a side that doesn't do very well once it once it goes behind, so fair play to him. But it, it felt like he'd learned something as well, because when I fall back to that Fulham game, probably around spring last year, the second goal, the killer for Everton, came from, ball came in from the left, mm-hmm. and it was um, from the Everton left, and yeah, Ben Godfrey at the back post, marking William, gets lost under the ball, William pulls it back, Harry Wilson scores, and about first 20 minutes of the game last night, you had a similar scenario, back ball post William Lurk in there. Ben Godfrey just read it so much better, got an important interception. And it's just moments like that where you just go, there is a role he can play here for Everton. And Dyches doesn't have a big squad, but what it seems he's doing, and I think you can mention Arnold Dunjuma in this as well, because I thought he played quite well last night and will be able to hit the target from the big chance he created. He still created that largely himself. And what he did do was a, a lot of work tracking back the amount of times he robbed the ball from Timothy Castagne, you know, the, you know, the full-back for, for for Fulham. You know, just tracking back and getting there and breaking up an attack before it started was really impressive. I think that's probably one of the things that Evertonians can take a lot of heart from from the last six weeks. It's not a very big squad. There are squads out there with more talent. But one thing that Sean Dyche has managed to be able to do and showed consistency over recent weeks is that he has a group of players there who, even know when they're not, even the fringe players seem to be able to come in and do a job and want to do a job when they needed to. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports,
0: media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
1: many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal.
1: Listen to The Deal Deal on Spotify.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: With Godfrey, he's gone back to the scene um, at, at Turf Moor. I mean, the last time Evan were there, it was his mistake. The, um, that infamous night that Sean Dyche of all people said that Evan had forgotten how to win, went back there, put, turned in an excellent performance, and he's gone and played against Fulham, the, the team who were one of his um, low points for last season. I think there was that game, wasn't there? And there was the Newcastle United home game, two games when he was at right back and he really struggled. So he, you know, gone gone to the, the scene of the crime, as it were, and sort of exercised those demons. And it can't be easy when you know his, his performances, his outings, have all been very sporadic. But it's talk, kind of what Sean Dyche talks about. You know, it's not just platitudes with a squad. When he says the people who aren't the regulars, who are you know, craving those extra minutes, when they do come in, you know, they, they haven't sold... They've gone on with a job and they've slotted it almost seamlessly. And, you know, you can't give uh, um, God, Godfrey any more um, sort of... Um, credit than that you know he's he's he's, he's just been a, a like you say an excellent professional in that respect and also the the, the fitness that he's shown to, to come into the side and to breach those excellent performances when when he has been out in the cold
0: we've had the starter now yeah. for the main course penalty
1: yes i will say that um in in real time I I, I I can say it was too quick too quick for my eyes but that's why we have the ar that's why we have the the, the uh, technology to come in. And, you were
0: also 50 yards away from where it happened. Yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a, like like Godison Park, there's a few pillars there as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, Craven Cottage is as, as lovely as it is as a venue. Uh, I think it's one of the most uh, charming grounds in the capital, but yeah. Yeah, I I didn't see it, but you know that's why we, like I said, we we had the VAR. And it looked pretty blatant to me on on that VAR check when you when you can see the angle. I mean, we've had response to us both today. Haven't we? We have somebody saying it's because of the was it the flatness of the angle or something with the in um, yeah, the way it's said. portrayed. But yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, it, 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 it handles it on the line, doesn't he? I mean, if, if that's not a penalty, don't know don't know what is um, until until Seamus Coleman went past him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Tim Howard, the USA international, uh, was was Everton's uh, Premier League appearance holder, and uh, his compatriot uh, Anthony Robinson produced, you know, was a, a piece of goalkeeping. I think even Tim Howard would have been uh, um, proud of there uh, knocking that one off the line with, with his arm. So yeah, I don't see how we it can't be a penalty for me. And when you talk about the ones i have gone against mm-hmm. Everton this season, I'm sure you mentioned yourself. Well, oh,
0: yeah, I mean, yeah. he knocked it towards goal. So it would have been an own goal. I'd have gone in. I'm not sure Tim Howard would have been too proud of <laughs> time to, <laughs> to, to, to clear it, didn't it? But I think that, um, I think for me, I think my frustration has grown as time has gone on with this. In the sense, that in isolation... I can kind of see a scenario in which that might not be given. You know, does he mean to do it, etc.? I don't think he means to do it. Is his body in his arm in a natural position? Well, you know, we can have arguments about that. Now, you know, when we're reporting on these things, you know, we you know, we have access to. You know, people that we can ask questions. Mm. You know, press officers that deal with you know, the, you know league of f- officials and things like. That. We can essentially go to someone and ask them for some advice, yeah. which he did. And and where my kind of consolation just increased emphatically was, you know, with the guidance I was given was that it wasn't deemed a penalty because his arm was deemed to be by his side. And, you know, all right, like, I mean, you know... I mean, it looked pretty outstretched to me. That's it. Now, whether it's outstretched, reaching for the ball or not is one thing, but, like... The argument that it's by its side, and bearing in mind that we come from a, like a last decade of because of different handball rules, we've often had players keep their arms behind their back in the context of where your arm being by your side, that doesn't look too much by your side from it. Um, now there's another element of it, and that's accidental. And yeah, you know, I later got an update to say it almost felt as if there's a bit of a scrambling there to say, Oh, yeah, we need to kind of add a little bit more meat to the bone here because look at the reaction to say that, oh, yeah, also it was yeah. deemed accidental. And my issue here is, and I think that this context gets lost because I I find I find this debate over this penalty really really interesting, because it is something that has clearly incensed and caught the attention of Everton supporters quite a lot, but I think the wider football world is relatively nonplussed by it. And I say that because you know I sat in the press conference with Sean Dyche after the game, and yeah, you know, there were a fleet of journalists there, and it took me probably eight or nine questions in to ask about the penalty. You know, there wasn't uh you know, we we're in London, a lot of those journalists got precedent over who got to ask questions first. I asked some questions before the penalty, but I was working on the assumption that somebody would ask it anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of, sometimes you play this almost like, you try and play almost like 4D chess. It's like, you know somebody, you only, you know you're only going to get so many questions. So what are the questions you can ask? It can help develop your knowledge of where Evan are right now think it's a banker that somebody else will ask that question. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I got to a point last night where I realised that yeah. if I wasn't going to ask it, was. nobody else was, which is a weird indication. When you look at the match reports from a lot of the national newspapers today, some of them mention it in passing. Some of them don't even mention it all. And I think that, obviously, we've been quite active on social media in relation to explaining why it wasn't a penalty and, and our concern about that and you know, I've had a lot of people jumping onto my, you know, threads in my replies. today, trying to say, oh, this and that, and fingers, you know, it's, it wasn't deliberate, and you know, and I think the, you know, often supporters of other clubs. And again, I'm going to come back to this word context because I think it's when you look at the context of the decisions that have gone against Everton this season, it adds an extra layer to the frustration. And this is where this is where it comes into, you know, I think that. We've come off the back of a Christmas period where Everton have had so many controversial calls against them. You know, I wrote last night. It's the third consecutive trip to London, in which an Everton side, in adverse circumstance, you know, patched up within because of injuries or things like that, have gone down to the capital, produced a pretty decent performance, and yet had it, and had you know, had it marred by a VAR decision. You go to Spurs, Amadou Anana. Tugged by Dejan Kuleseski, clear penalty to me. Which I'm to told me.
1: wasn't even on match of the day. And you're talking yeah, about how yeah. it's not part of the coverage of the game. Yeah, yeah. that's
0: it. You know, a couple of days later, Kuleseski does the same thing on a different player at Brighton. Penalty, like, where's the consistency there? Obviously, you also had the Andre Gomez um, pulled back for the Andre Gomez mm-hmm. foul that the, you know, disallowed Dominic Calvert Lewin's goal in that game. Then you get the Palace, you had the Dominic Calvert Lewin red card. VR intervenes, send him off, gets rescinded. And now have this. But the one that I think really jars in your memory when you look at these things is the Amadou Inanna one against Manchester City. All those decisions I've just mentioned that were costly for Everton. The Amadou Inanna penalty one, yeah, Everton done really well in that first half against Manchester City. It was only one each at the time. All right, City were going for up the gears. You know, they're a very talented side. They may well still got a winner, but we don't know. That penalty was to break through. Yeah. And when you apply the criteria that's being applied to apparently being applied to Anthony Robbins to say it's not a penalty, he, and you then look at the Amadou and one, well, all right, his hands are you know, honestly by his side, but is it deliberate? Well, I don't think he, he, didn't, I don't think he went to punch the ball. I think, he, if anything, he went to protect his face, but it was so close and hit so hard at him. I don't think he even had the opportunity to make a deliberate decision to yeah. move his ball towards the hand, you know, uh, sorry, his, his hand towards the, towards the ball. So when you start looking at all those in comparison, that's when it becomes really difficult. You know, it has to be deemed deliberate and it has to be deemed at the arms and in an unnatural position. And you can have arguments over both of them. But what it certainly feels like is a hell of a lot more leniency was given to Anthony Robinson there than it was given to Amadou Anana a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And that just seems to be the case so often with so many VAR decisions yeah. that go- or decisions that are going against um, because, again, you, know, you look at Dominic Alvalu and Red Card, VAR actively intervened to do a you know to, to send him off with a decision that was ultimately being gone back on. Yeah. you know, being reversed. You look at the Dominic Calvalho and goal at Spurs, VAR actively intervened to cost Everton there. You look at the Amadou Anada one, you see again, because he's actually given a leniency that he wasn't given a couple of days later. And it's that wider context, which I think is why it's so jarring, why I think it's so frustrating. I think I've seen a few people come out today and say, that are almost a bit disappointed by Deitch's reaction that he wasn't ranting and raving. And I actually think that Deitch's quite muted response in this spoke volumes because I asked the question and, you know, he didn't kick off at referees or decisions, but I think he's got to a point now where he's resigned. He started and ended his answer by basically saying, by basically wherever and we don't get penalties, so therefore I'm just, I'm used to it. And again, I use that word context those decisions that have gone for and against Everton over recent, well, almost entirely against Everton over the course of the season, and of course over recent years. And you throw into the mix that Everton haven't had a penalty this season, and you throw into the mix on top of that Everton they're the only Premier League side to not have had a penalty this season. And all of a sudden, your mind is just whirring with all these different things, and you're thinking like, you know, VAR and the handball rule, both separate, both separate frameworks that I think we can all agree are being applied poorly. At the moment, and so many poor decisions are being made as a result of that. I Everton mean, aren't the only club that have bad decisions made against them, but they have not had a bad decision go for them, and that just seems strange to me. You know, I'm not saying like I I don't think there's a conspiracy. You, obviously, we had that question. You know, is it you know the politics reverberating around the Premier League offices and into maybe the referees? I, like I don't think there's conspiracy here, but I can for the life of me. I just find it like it is bizarre. Like the, the numbers are starting to get a little bit daft, and the the circumstances in which I are getting penalties are getting more and more frustrating.
1: There we were numerous examples there, but to be fair, one of the uh, the viewers has come in with, with another one here. It's uh, Dunk Howard on Facebook says, "How is it different to uh, Michael Keane's handball at Anfield?" Mm. So that was that was one that was given up. See against and the totally along with the the, the non um, sending off of Canate, totally ch- changed the dynamic of the Merseyside derby, and that's obviously another huge decision.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think the keen one is a handball every... Like, I think that was a, a more straightforward decision. He's a bit further away, and I think he kind of... I, th- I think, unfortunately, uh, I think subconsciously, he, he kind of makes his body bigger to try and block it. Again, you know, accidental or deliberate, you know, subconscious reaction and natural reactions, and there's this whole thing, isn't there, you know, is his arm in a natural position or an unnatural position? And that's the thing with, with Robinson, you know, like, I've come back... I have made up what I was told. It, was, it was yeah. said not a penalty because Sam was by his side. Now, she had they come back it. and said wasn't a penalty because his arm was deemed to be in his natural... It was deemed to be in an, a natural position yeah. for where he was. It might be a slightly different arm, that's not what we were told. So, mm. And even then, it's a debate. It's probably a 50-50, is his arm in a natural position at that time. Like, he has a lot more time to... He doesn't have much time, but he has more time than, say, Amadou arna did to react to that one. And again, that was a penalty that was given.
1: Yeah, yeah. The- Comment, uh, we're, there were um that was a couple of comments actually on um on the the team's um performance actually uh, um, G- jimmy Percival on facebook says that uh, dice's style of play is not good enough oh. well um that's uh, pretty damning but um, simon c on youtube says we should have gone out um, to win the game last night baffles me it took um Deitch. Um it took how long it took Deitch to bring the subs on. We're lucky to get anything from the next two. It was a missed opportunity.
0: It's a really it's a really interesting comment, I think. Yeah. Uh, both comments t- t- to be honest. Look, I think the I think big picture, Deitch has done a really brilliant job at Everton. Like I don't think they could when you look at everything that he's had to deal with and you look at what's happened on the pitch, by rights, you know, they will keep saying it, they should be mid-table, miles away from a relegation battle right at this moment in time. And for him to have achieved that with this group of players in the circumstance which he's been operating is phenomenal. That doesn't mean to say there haven't been kind of like frustration jarring bits along the way. And, and, and you know, obviously the losing town FA Cup defeat the other day was, was one of them, you know, playing those two up front, and not just those two up front, but against the team who are probably most comfortable at dealing with that yeah. style of football was... A bit frustrating, but again, I think that my my instinctive reaction is to go. Just look what he's working with here. Yeah. He's got one fit senior central midfielder. You know, I mean, setting up to go and win a game like that, bearing in mind the resources he has, I think sometimes you 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 know you can't afford to go kamikaze. Like I don't know, a, yeah. like with that with that group of players that he had available last night, I don't really know what more he can do than go you know what like the draw is a good result here we'll, we'll take it you know a, a draw is better than a defeat it gives us some momentum point you know it does have some some value but this probably comes back to a point we touched upon right at the very beginning and and this is where i have uh, like some sympathy or, or i can understand where, where that that listener's coming from and that is because i think this this may well become an important part of the rest of everton's season and that is at what point do we move from saying this is good in the context of where Everton are to we've got to operate in the context of the wider picture and that's a Premier League where Luton are informal or on Everton in relegation battle. At some point, you know, Deitch talks about controlling the controllables and, and he's right, you he can only control certain things. But there might have to almost be a little bit of an acceptance that you have to move to a riskier strategy because the rewards are greater than the risk and kind of going along just surviving might not be the best way forward. You know, the reality is that Everton are in a difficult position with their squad at the moment. They, they do have a lot of injuries, but they also just have a very small squad. So mm-hmm. it will you know, there will always be a couple of players injured or suspended or out of form. There's never going to be a perfect scenario for him. I don't think he could really necessarily go out all gung-ho for a win Despite that, he put outside that for all the difficulties that he had, for all the absences, came very close to winning as well as he came very close to losing. But I do think that that's a legitimate conversation moving into the second half of the season. At what point do you go from this is a very this is a good in a in an internal Everton context to all of a sudden we can't play that game anymore? We've got to play the the bigger picture, and that is how do Everton perform well, not in an Evan context, but in a, in a wider context, because yeah, Evan could p- put good performances in, performances that we'd be happy in for the rest of the season. might not be enough points to keep him up, and that's what will matter at the end of the day. So, so there, like, there, there's a point there that I can kind of understand, and it's probably worth a little bit of a conversation. I mean, what, what, yeah. what do you think?
1: Yeah, like, I think that uh, I think it's a bit unfair. I can see where um, Simon C is, is coming from, from, but I, I if, look, if if the penalty is given, which it should have been, haven't got a chance to win the game there. If Beto puts that chance away at the end, haven't have won the game there. It's not it's not Sean Dynchy's fault that Beto misses that chance at the end or Dan Juma misses that chance in the, the first half. He he put a team out there who were competitive again in very difficult circumstances, as we mentioned. Square pegs and round holes, and the, 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 down to absolutely the, the bare bones. You know, it could have gone. it could have gone either way, and if the, the, the correct decisions have been made, you know, it, it, Everton would have. I mean, if it's been so long since they've had the penalty. Obviously, they still have to convert it, but it was obviously Calvert-Loon was on the field who did score Everton's last penalty all the way back on first of May last year. So yeah, I think that's harsh. Um, what I don't know what people expect sometimes in um, the current circumstances. You know that we've seen, the the arguments about um, Everton and the financial fair play trouble, and we've seen the the, um, the net spend tables, our, and how Everton have been right down at the bottom the last three years. Um, now, Sean Dyke's had hardly anything um, to play with um, transfer funds wise, and like you say, a, a team who last season, you know, make no bones about it, they were heading for the. Um, first relegation since 1951 under Frank Lampard. And it's only because Sean Dyche came in. It was the obvious choice, I thought, at the time. You did as well. And he only... They were still a goal away from going down. You know, he, he did... He kept them up just about, you know, by the narrowest of margins, really, and to have taken them on this season. And without the... The, um, the points deduction, which is, you know, nothing to do with Sean Dyche. You know, they, they would be in mid-table now, and uh, that would have been, uh, you know, a, a modern-day miracle, really, compared to where they were in the, uh, and the context that she's working in. So, yeah, I think it, it it's, it's a bit of a tough call, really, but slightly related to, to that one, and we're talking about the options that Sean Dyche was, was forced to use last night. Um, Mike Bond on Facebook says... What are your views on the reluctance to play youth players despite squad limits? There seems to be an ongoing trend with numerous managers, I mean, I presume he means and in terms of being reluctant to, to go with the youth players, I guess it, I guess it's down to the fact that the manager doesn't think they're ready.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that Everton haven't been able to do for a number of years is, you know, this is the third year in a row now in which it's a team that's been fighting every game. Yeah, like it hasn't had a pressure-free run of fixtures for probably since maybe the, the first half, maybe the, the beginning of Rafa Benitez yeah. spell, where you could go. This is a bit of a free hit. So somebody that's on the cusp of first-team football, like a highly-rated youth, might be able to come in and earn their Spurs or get the last twenty minutes of a game or and build up their confidence. Now, then that way. The reality is every minute of it, almost every minute of almost every game is relevant to Everton right now. And as a result of that, you know you can understand why there isn't much thought to give to developing youth. I think the big element in relation to that this season is the fact that there's probably a a bit of a drop-off between the first team and, and, and the academy because mm-hmm. of the decisions that were made in the summer. Isaac Price, if he was still at the club, talented midfielder, played well in the um, the tour to Australia last year, Northern Ireland International. Evan did want to keep him, but I think there were questions from his camp about how hard they were willing to work to keep him, given his talent. And in the end of the day, he's gone to stand the age to play football now. He would have had a chance this season, I think. Last night might have been a game. He was in advance, yeah. he was playing ahead of the likes of Jensen Metcalf, he was a bit younger. Um, and obviously he has more senior experience because of what he's doing with, with Northern Ireland. And at that point, you go, this might be an opportunity to bring him in. Yeah. But he's not there because of, well, yeah, you know, a lack of opportunity like like that, that that's gone there, and probably also to a degree finances. They, you know, if, if they're in a different financial position, they can probably offer him more wages, which might get me help them keep holding him for a little bit longer. The other one is you know, the other glaring absence is Tom Cannon. Obviously, it doesn't help in him centre him midfield, but. Yeah, we can see that Everton have got two strikers that are struggling for form. But what is also notable about those strikes is they're very, they're not the same profile player, but they're very similar players. Now, mm. Tom Cannon went to the Championship with Preston last season, bang goals in for fun after doing it for the under twenty ones, you know, in the first half of last season. And okay, you know, would he come in and score goals? I don't know, but the chances are that if he was in and around the squad, probably would have had a few opportunities this month. Mm. And you know, Tom Cannon's a goal scorer hasn't always been, you know, but but you know, as he's developed and got older, he's become increasingly prolific. Uh and if he was there, again, I think he'd be the you know, he'd have a chance. I and mean, you look at the other probably key names of the top end of the academy, you've got Lewis Warrington and Stanley Mills who both went out on loan this yeah. this season. Well, both of them are in middle of long term injuries now. So again, Lewis Warrington is someone that you know he hasn't played. Uh, he, he wasn't playing much for Plymouth in the Championship, but he did have some. He had a lot more first team experience than anybody else in those positions in the academy, other than perhaps Tyler and Yango. Um, he's also had a few loans, and last night might have been an opportunity to bring him in when you're in a situation when you've got so midfielders. But I think sadly, the reality is with the academy, I think the finances and the club's general chaotic nature over recent years has led to a position where. Ever, and it just there's a bit of a cliff at a minute between the first team and the top end of the academy and what you would hope would be an op- opportunities to to kind of hasten the development of those players at a top end the likes of you know mckenzie hunts and, and jensen Metcalf, who are in the squad more weeks and not right now see a little bit of lewis dobbin as well obviously again he's had a few more opportunities it's, it's just that lack of pressure free minutes yeah how often you know, how often do you? So you look at Sir Alex Ferguson or you look at Jurgen Klopp and you look at all the talent that they've both brought through during their tenures, well, it's a lot easier to do it in winning sides. It's a lot easier to do it when more often than not, you're two, free in the lap of 20 minutes to go. You can just give them that more and more experience as they come along so that when you have an injury crisis, all of a sudden they're not just stepping in with, 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 with no senior experience. Evan haven't been able to do that. Um, it's one of the many frustrating consequences, the manner in which that way that club has been run. That continues to affect everything that Sean Dyche can do, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why we, we didn't see it last night. You know, Dwight McNeil has played a little bit in the middle. I've seen him do it once or twice before. Jack Harrison is a kind of operating behind the main striker. I think that's something that we've called for. I think him in a ten, when you've got Dan Juma that can go out wide, is is actually a relatively straightforward move. I think, yeah. um, but I can understand that frustration. Um, but it's difficult to see what else Deitch can do, especially bearing in mind they're so influential positions as well. You look at centre midfield, aren't you? And it's just, yeah. you know, it's probably. I know fullbacks are very, you know, important position and so strong. But it's probably a little bit easier to kind of do it out wide than it is in the middle, and, and that's where. I'm, and you've got to remember, of course. All right, it's a different scenario, but you are in a position where Deitch has given brand an opportunity this season now could probably have an argument to say whether or not he got to a position with Michael Keane where he was forced to make a change and, you know, had no, the only option really was Brown of Waits at the time and, you know, he's bored a success of, 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 of limited options in that respect but, yeah you know, come through this season in a way that I don't think any of us expected to do. Yeah. We knew there was a talent there but this, the, the talent that he's shown is probably unexpected and Lewis Dobbin has been kept around, has been given minutes and, you know, probably will get more minutes over the rest of the season but I think, yeah i I think it's a an easy stick i think it's a fair stick to beat everton as a football club with um i think it's a difficult one with deitch just again because you look at the resources that he's got left and the fact that every game matters for him um you know we know he doesn't like to make substitutions anyway like it's just part of it and i think that's probably there's probably a stubbornness to that which i think surely has to change at some point but you know again it's easy to make lots of substitutions when you've got lots of good players on a bench that can make a difference. Evan don't have that for similar reasons that there's a drop off in the academy because they haven't had the finances to build strength in depth throughout the whole system, of the football and operation because of the, what's gone on over recent years. Okay, I think uh, that'll uh, do us there,
1: I I think. We've obviously got a busy day tomorrow, haven't we? You're down at Finch Farm for transfer deadline um, day. We've got um, Sean Dyche's uh, press conference uh, coming up uh, to preview the Tottenham Hotspur uh, game. So it'll be uh, plenty to talk about um, tomorrow as we we move towards the weekend. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's a huge week and that game was just one part of it. Um, And in some ways, probably almost the least important part of it. You know, obviously today we have the appeal signing against point points deduction. You know, we won't hear how that's gone for a couple of weeks yet, but yeah, you know, that's Evans' big hope for this season because it could. You know, they're not going to move to a situation where they don't get punishment, but there has to be a reasonable chance that they perhaps get a little bit of a points, of a redu- some points back from that. Well, I say that more so because you know, when you look at the ten points in comparison again, context in the context of nine points for administration, that just doesn't quite make any sense to me. So I'd be relatively hopeful that with significant, you know, if they can put their arguments across in the right way, they might get a little bit of a reduction, and every point helps at this present moment in time. And obviously any success they have in that might strengthen the case in the second one, which is also crucially important, because if it goes wrong, it could lead to another point reduction. So, you know, obviously that's huge. And then transfer deadline day tomorrow, and you're right, transfer deadline day, you'll be in, I'll be in 12 to 12 pretty much, down at Finch Farm for the pre-Tottenham Hotspur press conference. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And then you know we'll be you know, keeping abreast of the situation going this the last few days. I think that if I to expect a quiet one, the noise right now is currently pretty quiet. I'm sure that if they could bring in another winger or centre midfielder, that, that they would do so. If they could find the way, you know, and I'm sure they'll be still be exploring options, Evan, because they could do with anything that they can get in. I think possibly the two biggest questions for the final day of the transfer window with Everton have been answered last night and that is Ben Godfrey was courted by a fair few clubs and Leeds were very, very interested in him. Well, Evans' financial situation is such that if an offer they can't refuse comes in, they can't afford to refuse it probably, but he highlighted his importance to this side last night. I'd be surprised if they let him go as a result. And Alan Dan Juma as well. Leon, look like they're on the Cusper side and Ben Rama, so that threat has perhaps gone. Um, and also the fact that he was involved last night, you know, I think probably points to a position where he, he might hope to get more minutes going forward. So you know, the danger tomorrow is just that somebody else tries to capitalise on Evans' instability and maybe puts in a big bid for someone. A big bid, but it's a cheaper bid than they perhaps is market value for someone like a Brantflater and a But the way the market has been so far this month, yeah, that would look like a surprise. So, but, you know... We'll have the developments as they come. Yeah,
1: well, you just be careful at Finch Farm, uh, Joe. I don't want any sort of Alan Irwin antics uh, befalling you. So, uh, yeah, nothing. Um, We've been the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I've been Chris Beasley. Joe's been Joe Thomas, and we'll be with you again soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.